Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off this final uh, week of June. Hope you had a good weekend. We'll be talking weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson as we wrap up this month of June. Who's going to get rain this week and who's not? What about those temps? We'll take a closer look at all of that coming up. Also with us today will be Ernie Goss from uh, Creighton University, and we'll take a look at his Rural Main Street Index, take a look at the uh, ag economy and what's going on in rural America, if we're seeing any improvement at all. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol, will join us. Ron has been in Mexico working uh, in that country uh, on ethanol issues as Mexico starts going more and more to ethanol in their fuel, and we'll get the very latest on that. But we have a lot of things to catch up on with Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Busy week last week. Shapes up to be another busy week this week. Uh, let's kind of start kind of where we left off last week. We know the House passed their farm bill but they did not pass an immigration bill. The, I guess they're going to take that up today. Is that right, the the next one? Well, Mike, I'm not sure if it's going to actually happen today. They're still trying to work on getting the votes and trying to find the ultimate uh, deal that will convince both conservatives and moderates within the Republican Party to vote for immigration. As you know, it's been in the headlines every day and every night. And as we look at some of these issues dealing with border security and whether families have been separated. And in the meantime, the farmers in this country badly need laborers who can help do the work on these farms, whether it's picking fruits and vegetables or working in barns and dairy operations. And that's probably not going to be part of any immigration bill that can pass if anything does this week. I have to say, however, that the president is showing a little bit more positivity on taking up immigration in his tweets. With last week, he left a little confusion. First, he was saying they, he would support either bill that went forward, and uh, then he sounded like, well, let's just wait until after the midterms and see if we have more Republicans. And now he seems to be saying, let's go ahead. So um, look for a vote on immigration this week that uh, can hopefully address some of the most press- pressing issues on border security and how we deal with families that are coming into this country illegally. Meanwhile, the Senate getting ready to take up their farm bill and uh, have a vote. When do you think that will be? Well, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has been very, very involved in this farm bill, especially because he wants to see provisions to legalizing hemp production that he thinks can help farmers in his home state of Kentucky, he said that it will be before the 4th of July. They're going to take a cloture vote to see if they can advance a bill tonight, and I think that's going to move ahead. And then we'll start seeing amendments being filed. Uh, we've got Phil Brasher on the Hill today looking at what amendments are coming forward. And um, so later this week and then probably midweek, we'll see the farm bill start to hit the floor. And uh, I think that as soon as they can figure out which amendments are going to be considered, they'll get their strategy going. Uh, You may have seen, Mike, that more than 600 farm groups wrote a letter to all the senators suggesting that in any way they should not harm crop insurance. And that's going to be a big issue to watch for the amendments because there's an anticipation that Senator Durbin will once again try his amendment to put a means test on premium subsidies. There also might be other ways that are 
addressed in amendments to limit crop insurance participation or even change private sector delivery. So all the ag groups are really on watch right now for potential amendments that could harm crop insurance. And Senator Grassley will continue to push for payment limit restrictions. Um, is he getting much support? Is he getting any momentum on that at all? Well, he has assured us that he will be able to offer his amendment to tighten down payment limitations on the Senate floor. It's unclear that he'll have much more support than he's had in previous times. But, you know, Senator Grassley has been consistent on this issue. He has never uh, wavered on his desire to have the votes on tightening the uh, limits up. And uh, he wants to see the focus on smaller and what he calls family-sized farmers receiving some of these payments. So um, our Iowa senator will try, try again, and uh, he may have a little bit more support this time because he he didn't have a chance in committee, but um, it's going to be a tough haul. Meanwhile, Sarah, on trade, interesting op-ed piece uh, by Secretary Purdue, again saying that this administration will begin fulfilling our promises uh, to take care of farmers in light of these trade tariffs and, and any uh, damage or losses to uh, U.S. producers. Do we have any idea how they intend to go about that? Well, they have legal authority to provide payments to farmers to make up for losses that could be occurred. But as you know, Mike, farmers and ranchers, they don't want to have payments from the government. They'd like to have markets that work. So um, whether or not the, the secretary has the legal authority, uh, it's not something that farm groups are looking for. They'd like to see the retaliation uh, dropped with China in, in a way that opens up markets uh, for U.S. agricultural products so they can sell more. Uh, now they also, I think, understand all the growers I've been talking to are saying we understand the threats to intellectual property, how the Chinese have tried to steal things from us, including our seed technology but they'd like to see cooler heads prevail and actually have these discussions where the Chinese and the U.S. can sit down and, and drop some of these trade barriers and, and have that trade war go to a little bit uh, calmer level of uh, discussion. But so far, we've not seen that. I mean, it seems like both sides continue to up the ante on this. Well, they do, and it just keeps going. And, as you know, we've got a group of farm broadcasters over in China right now, including our own Spencer Chase, who's meeting with Ambassador Branstead uh, there today. And we're looking forward to hearing what the Chinese perspective is on these tariffs, because obviously they need a lot of our food products and our commodities like soybeans. But um, right now they can source them from other countries. So it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out this week. Uh, last week with the uh, the House Farm Bill vote uh, being so close, 213 to 11, it really sets up what should be a fascinating uh, conference committee when the Senate does get their bill done. Oh, it does. And, you know, you're going to hear a lot over the next couple of weeks about how this uncertainty on trade is actually very necessary uh, for a farm bill because if we can't do anything to control the trade situation, we should at least be able to have the certainty with the farm bill. And so there is this renewed sense of urgency going forward in both the House and the Senate to get something done before the current bill expires at the end of September. And you're likely to see Mr. Peterson from Minnesota siding with the Senate counterparts 
uh, Pat Roberts and Debbie Stabenow because he hasn't been exactly on talking terms with Chairman Conaway on the House side. Yeah, interesting that all these trade tensions may help get the farm bill passed this year. All right, uh, Sarah, thank you as always. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Have a good day. Take care. You too. Sarah Wyatt, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. What's ahead this coming week, this last week of June, and on into the summer? Bryce will give us a complete look at that. Also coming up today, Ernie Goss from Creighton University, a look at the ag economy, and Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol, talking about uh, working with uh, folks in Mexico to get more ethanol into their fuel supply. All that coming up today on Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache. Or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. with have a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows. 
two premium pillows, and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we always like to start the week off with a look at the weather for the week ahead. Joining us is DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And Bryce, uh, the question, especially this time of year, who's going to get rain this week? Uh, Mike, the uh, rainfall is going to uh, be quite general across uh, much of the central part of the country through at least Wednesday. And then uh, things start letting up a little bit. Uh, So there will be some uh, additional rains in the northern Corn Belt where they've had flooding. And uh, then even in parts of the uh, south central and the southern Midwest where it's been a little bit drier, there will be a few uh, showers at least uh, helping things out. Uh, So that's uh, kind of the way the week is shaping up. Let's take a look at some trouble spots. Uh, Missouri, the state of Missouri uh, has been very dry, especially the northern part of the state. Uh, what's it look like for them? There will be some light showers in that part of the country. Um, there is no doubt that the southwestern Midwest has uh, had an issue with uh, dry ground and uh, very light rainfall. Um, I think that there will be some showers uh, in that part of the country, Mike. Uh, we're not going to completely recharge the soil moisture profile. Uh, we know that. But uh, when you look at, uh, you know, such uh, areas like uh, Chillicothe, we could see maybe about, oh, six-tenths to uh, seven-tenths of an inch of rain uh, in that part of the country during this week. Uh, Kirksville, let me take a look at that. Uh, Kirksville could get uh, similar amounts. Uh, so, yeah, that is going to be, um, you know, still a – an area that uh, overall does not uh, fare as well as uh, some other locations. And then in that south-central, southwestern part of the Midwest, it is going to get uh, quite hot uh, back into the low to mid-90s when the week is over with. I should mention there's been uh, some uh, discussion, uh, some disagreement uh, with the uh, forecast models as far as rainfall uh, is concerned. I I, uh, do think that the uh, models have uh, done a pretty credible job in terms of verifying uh, when you think about the very heavy rain that we have seen in the the, uh, upper Midwest over the last three weeks, along with uh, verifying for the tremendous rains that they saw in the Gulf Coast in Texas during the last couple weeks. Uh, So have the uh, models uh, gotten every single area uh, in terms of uh, rainfall amounts, exactly on the money, uh, not quite, uh, but there have been some pretty significant areas of uh, heavy rain where their performance has verified. Yeah, some places uh, have just had too much rain. It's hard for some in the dry areas to imagine that, but the, we, as you mentioned earlier, we've had the flooding in some areas. Oh, there, there's uh, been been uh, no, no uh, let-up in terms of the uh, very heavy rains in the northwestern Corn Belt, especially um, in eastern South Dakota, uh, western Minnesota, northwestern Iowa. Uh, just name a river valley, and it's going to be flooded right now. 
the Jim River in South Dakota, uh, the Big Sioux River in uh, Minnesota and South Dakota, uh, the Rock River in northwestern Iowa. Uh, they're all bankful and then some. Uh, it's, uh, it's got a lot of uh, growers in, in that corridor between U.S. Highway 20 and Interstate 90, uh, dealing with uh, some real standing water problems and a lot of concern about flooded out acreage. It wouldn't surprise me that uh, there's been enough of that standing water ponding out uh, issue that uh, the crop ratings are going to reflect that by uh, moving down a point or two uh, this week because of that uh, very heavy rainfall that they've had. Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, I know I'm in west central Illinois. We had a, a, a very pleasant weekend, some cooler temperatures, but kind of wondering, looking at that forecast, it looks like heat is coming back. Uh, how hot and how widespread that will that heat be? Well, I think that uh, temperatures, Mike, are going to get into that uh, low to mid-90s uh, over much of the Midwest. And again, I'm going to kind of use Interstate 90 as a break point. Uh, for the uh, 90-plus degree temperatures. So that's going to take in uh, quite a bit of the central U.S. And then uh, you get into the southwestern plains, uh, where even though they had some rain in the last seven days, uh, there still is an overall uh, precipitation deficit uh, from western Texas north to southwestern Kansas. And then on west, uh, there's going to be a lot of 100-degree-plus temperatures go on. Uh, so that part of the country is not going to, uh, you know, really uh, benefit uh, from the rainfall that they've had recently. Um, I think the the uh, impact on uh, crop conditions is going to uh, be somewhat uh, of a drying trend, obviously, uh, with the higher temperatures. But then again, um, you know, corn is a tropical plant, and this kind of heat uh, with a generally uh, better situation for soil moisture is, I think, going to be uh, tolerable as corn moves into pollination. Yeah, timing is everything. I know here in my area of Illinois, corn, much of it is tasseled already uh, before we get into the big heat that you're talking about now. Uh, but, uh, I mean, we're getting into that crucial stage. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the end of June uh, through July, is is uh, you know is uh, the the make or break time period. Um, I don't think that uh, there's there's going to be anything that that leads to uh, any great complication in terms of uh, in terms of uh, how crops are going to get along. Uh, the fact that uh, there has been quite a bit of the belt uh, receive rainfall and then a little bit of a temperature break prior to going into the uh, hotter trend this week. I think is uh, generally thought of as being pretty decent. Uh, now, yeah, are there some drier areas? There are. Are there some wetter areas? There are. But uh, one does have to respect the fact that that uh, the the scenario for crops is starting out at a very high level, even if uh, you know the uh, ratings do come down a point or two this week. And then, Mike, uh, there is the additional angle for the uh, forecast scenario later this summer uh, that features uh, a possibly faster move in the Pacific to an El Nino pattern for temperatures and the barometer features uh, than had been forecast. 
that's the way things are starting to act with those uh, ocean water readings. And in years where the uh, where the Pacific has been moving toward an El Nino during this uh, going into midsummer time frame, uh, there's there's only one year, and that was in 1991. Uh, where uh, crop conditions and, and crop uh, production actually kind of tailed off relative to expectations. But the other years uh, where these uh, features were in place, similar to what they are now, were 1986, 1987, and 1994. And in all three of those years, uh, overall production uh, was above trend line and actually did set a record for those time periods. So that's the uh, kind of history that the the uh, kind of real macro scale uh, features bring to the table when you look at how this uh, season is shaping up. So, how long before we can uh, uh, determine if we are in El Nino? I mean, uh, you take you were watching these water temperatures. How long before you're actually able to say, okay, it's an El Nino pattern? I think that uh, probably we're going to have to see uh, things acting the way they are for another month, Mike. And, uh, you know, at, the, at uh, a point that the ocean water temperatures reach a half degree Celsius above average for, you know, a period of a couple weeks, and then uh, the barometer uh, signals uh, start to move toward uh, the uh, minus 8 value on the Southern Oscillation Index, at that point, then, you know, conditions are going to uh, move more and more toward, uh, toward the, uh, the full assessment that El Nino is in effect. But the uh, wind patterns are already starting to act that way, and the temperature trend is moving in that direction as well. All right. Uh, quick check around the globe. Uh, any sp- uh, spots in particular that you're watching with uh, some weather issues? Well, obviously, the uh, the Black Sea region of uh, Russia and Ukraine has been a dry area uh, for the the wheat crop and for row crops too, for that matter. But over the weekend, uh, there was some moderate heavy rain in uh, in Russia. Um, I know that uh, if if anybody uh, like me was keeping track of the World Cup uh, soccer tournament, and I do, um, there were some uh, some games uh, in Russia that were you know, kind of complicated because of heavy rainfall. So there's an indication right there. Uh, Then in Australia, uh, this week, uh, New South Wales in southeastern Australia, along with southern Queensland in eastern Australia, have moderate to heavy rain forecast. And uh, this section of Australia has been very dry. Uh, That rain would would be uh, very timely for uh, the soil moisture for their uh, winter wheat crop, and uh, they're looking forward to that. So those are the right. two major areas right now. Very good. Thanks, Bryce. Talk to you next week. Okay, Mike. Appreciate it. You bet. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll take a look at the rural Main Street Index with Ernie Goss next on Adams on Agriculture. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. In the granite oil seed sector and for livestock at the Merck on this Monday, not a lot of positive news to report. Losses in corn, wheat, soybeans, live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hog futures too. New crop November soybeans surged higher on Friday in a corrective rally, but the trend still bearish, according to the wire talk. A short-term bottom forming last week at 864.5 to the top side. Initial resistance lies at 934. We are staying within that range so far on a Monday. December new crop corn slipped marginally lower on Friday. The short-term corn trend neutral to negative for now new crop december hammering out a short-term daily bottom and major support at 360 trading about 11 cents above that an hour into the trading day on this monday for the wheats losses in the teens for chicago and kansas city seven to nearly 10 cents lower in minneapolis spring wheat futures on this monday for livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, we are trending $2.30 to $3 lower. Feed yards placing more cattle in their lots for fattening in May than expected. And according to USDA's Cattle on Feed report from Friday afternoon, that suggests that supplies could remain elevated in the months to come. Herd growth in 2017 and earlier this year pushing cattle supplies higher and pressuring prices May's cattle on feed numbers suggesting that trend wasn't abating as fast as expected. Over $3 lower in feeder cattle on this Monday. Lean hog futures an hour into the trade, 65 to $1.85 lower. The Dow down 300 points, crude oil up 30 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halberson from the American Ag Network. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. The Creighton University Rural Main Street Index climbed above growth neutral in June for a fifth straight month. That's according to the monthly survey of bank CEOs in rural areas of a 10-state region. And joining us to talk about it is Ernie Goss, 
the Jack McAllister Chair in Regional Economics for Creighton University. Ernie, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you. Um, it, it, that sounds like positive news. How positive is it? Well, it's, it's better. You know, I think the negatives are getting better. In other words, that's not a bumper sticker for a politician, though, but they are getting less negative. For example, uh, the bankers expect farmland prices to climb by two, another 2% this year. That's Last year, when, it, when we asked that question, they expected a 3% decline. So, again, the negatives are getting less negative. Of course, a lot will depend on the trade, what happens in terms of trade, what happens in terms of inflation interest rates. And when we talk trade, we're, we have a lot of trade news right now, and most of it's uh, negative with tariffs and retaliation. That's right, and particularly when we talk about uh, pork producers, when we talk about soybean producers, and, of course, corn in terms of NAFTA, we, we still don't have any resolution of NAFTA, and that's very important, for example, for the corn producers in, in uh, Nebraska, for example. And we asked about we asked the bankers about uh, how they were dealing with the downturn in farm income. Of course, since 2013, it's climbed by about 34 percent, and about uh, double the number uh, indicated that they had begun uh, to uh, uh, reject a higher percentage of farm loans. So that's a real concern. Yeah, I was going to ask you what seems to be the mood of bankers as far as um, their level of concern with the uh, the financial health of their of their borrowers their customers you know mike even though that was almost a doubling uh, from 20 about 24% to 43% those those indicated they had rejected a higher percentage of loans it's pretty positive i think uh, of course agriculture entered this uh, i'll say a downturn in 2013 with a pretty good cash positions there had been of course uh, very good agricultural commodity prices. Of course, since 2013, it's declined every year since. And uh, it, but even with that, it's still pretty positive—a positive outlook—not uh, a positive outlook, but a positive uh, feeling out there among bankers and, and among farmers as well. Uh, particularly, I think livestock. But again, uh, pork producers getting hit recently with some of the uh, trade tensions in uh, China and South Korea, for example. Yeah, I guess I when I look at those numbers, when I consider where commodity prices are, the trade tensions that are out there, uh, it seemingly would make those numbers look even better. It would, you know, it, you'd uh, you'd uh, you'd expect that things were, at least I I would expect them to be a, a little bit less, more gloomy. Now we did look at our our business uh, our confidence number, and that was down below growth neutral. That's a concern, and again, it's a lot of concern out there when we see uh, because of uh, a lot of concern about trade because agriculture is always the first casualty uh, casualty of any trade war, and we're seeing uh, at least some of our trading nations target uh, agriculture for tariffs going their way. We're talking with Ernie Goss, the Jack McAllister Chair in Regional Economics at Creighton University, looking at Creighton University's Rural Main Street Index and uh, taking a look at the numbers for June. Ernie, uh, as you look at the numbers overall, any particular area jump out at you as far as a strength or a weakness? Well, we farm loans were up considerably over this time last year. We're seeing, uh, uh, we ask again how they're dealing with uh, uh, the 
downturn in farm income and the weak commodity prices, and almost two-thirds of the bankers indicated they had increased collateral requirements. So but even with that, though, the loan delinquencies, uh, loan paybacks, uh, uh, foreclosures, still at very low rates. So, again, we need to, what we need, and certainly don't need an economist to tell you this, we need higher commodity prices. Uh, the uh, grain producers are below break-even uh, across the region that we survey of 10 states. Some other areas that we often look at, let's look at farm equipment sales. Boy, that's not been good for some time. Uh, Mike, and of course, uh, that's been weak for as many, almost five years now, weak, weak, weak farm commodity, agricultural equipment sales. Of course, on the flip side of that, those producers have been doing reasonably well. That would be the John Deere's, the others that produce agricultural equipment. A lot of that, of course, is driven by international sales, and but even that's gotten weak lately for those producers as, again, trade tensions for an economist, uh, we like to see free and fair trade, but uh, that's not what we're looking at right now. What about hiring, employment in rural America? Very, pretty strong there, Mike. Uh, we're seeing growth now about, on, in terms of in the rural areas, year-over-year growth of a little less than 1%. Now, that's not as strong as what we're seeing in the U.S. urban areas, but it's still pretty good by historical standards. So what we're seeing, the ethanol producers, for example, increasing, uh, we're seeing some uh, growing there. We're seeing alternative energy doing very well. We're seeing energy doing real well, for example, in in, uh, in Oklahoma, North Dakota, other areas, Colorado, for example. Some of that is oil prices have picked up to between 60 and $70 a barrel, which is pretty good for those areas. Home and retail sales? Uh, the housing sales, the numbers were good, uh, of course. So we concerned about the availability out there, and that's, that's true in rural areas, true in urban areas. Housing availability is not good out there, and, of course, that's pushing up prices at a pretty good pace, about 7% year over year, and that, that can't be sustained. Uh, retail sales, not good, uh, below growth neutral there, and, of course, uh, that's much like what we're seeing at the national level with some of the retailers, for example, Amazon sales, Walmart sales, uh, cutting into the uh, the uh, bricks-and-mortar stores on, on rural Main Street. Now, when we look at this trade situation, it certainly impacts uh, grain farmers and livestock producers as well. It does, Mike, and... And, of course, uh, just this recent meeting of the Federal Reserve, they raised interest rates by a quarter percent, and they indicated they would raise rates another two times this year, which would put it up by 50 basis points or a half percent. And, of course, that's cutting into the uh, uh, some of the ability of farmers to borrow and their their ability to pay back. And, of course, another factor there is it typically pushes up the value of the dollar, which, again, is not good for agriculture. It makes agricultural commodities uh, less competitively priced abroad. But again, I'm sounding a lot of negatives out there, but but when I travel on rural Main Street among farmers and bankers out there, it's still reasonably positive, even with all these troubles. Yeah, it makes me wonder about the next one, your next month's report, because we'll have a better handle, I think, on the, the trade situation, and uh, it could make a big move one way or the other, I would think. Oh, absolutely. 
Mike. That's the uh, the I'll say it the uh, black swans, the two black swans that I'm looking at. That's an event event that has a low probability of happening. Well, now maybe a higher probability and a high cost, and that will be trade, anything to do with trade, but also interest rates and inflation. Uh, looking at those very carefully as the Fed is is at least a more hawkish in terms of interest rate hikes. And what about land values, Ernie? Well, they're still coming down, uh, uh, Mike, but a much the downturn is is much slower now than it was uh, last year. Probably we saw about oh across the region three to six percent decline. This year we're probably going to see less than two percent or two percent decline. So that's getting better. Uh, of course, it depends on where where the farm is located and what the crop is and whether it's irrigated or non-irrigated. But that's an overall average stretching from Illinois east, I should say, to Colorado in the west. And I would guess even, and certainly we're talking on average, there are individual cases that differ on all this, but uh, it shows, I think, the strength that much of agriculture had coming into this downturn to still hold at least this strong in light of uh, depressed prices for some time now. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And, and we, we can't lose sight of the fact that our agricultural sector is the, the is the most productive on the face of the globe and will continue to be that way. Of course, we've got a farm bill that's going through Congress that's uh, raising some concerns out there, particularly in terms of crop insurance. We've got some uh, concerns about ethanol, the uh, federal federal government's commitment to ethanol and the EPA, but that aside, it's still long term. Couldn't be in a better position, uh, better sector in in the uh, overall U.S. economy and the global economy. So, bottom line, Ernie, what's your takeaway from your June report? The negatives are getting less negative. I expect things to turn positive, but a lot will depend on trade. A lot will depend on what happens in terms of interest rates and inflation. So stay tuned, right? <laughs> stay tuned. That's right. To, to, to the Adams report and the, hopefully the Creighton report. Yeah, we'll see what's coming out very soon. All right, Ernie, thank you. We appreciate it. Oh, nice to be with you, Mike. Take care. Ernie Goss, Jack McAllister, Chair in Regional Economics for Creighton University. Again, the Creighton University Rural Main Street Index climbing above growth neutral in June for a fifth straight month, even though there are a lot of concerns certainly out there, trade leading the way and the the negative impact on commodity prices. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. We had Ron on uh, not too long ago talking about his trip to Mexico and the work he is doing with fuel retailers south of the border. And they are starting to move to 10% ethanol in their fuel supply in Mexico, opening up great opportunities uh, for the U.S. ethanol industry. But it takes time to um, get that infrastructure uh, going and uh, have an educational process on how to uh, handle ethanol and get it into the fuel supply and make it available to motorists there. So Paul's been, uh, Ron rather, has been working with them, and we'll find out how those efforts are going. Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol joining us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam, for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. As we've told you before, Mexico moving to 10% ethanol blend in their fuel supply, but uh, that transition period takes a lot of work and education and uh, help. And providing some of that help and assistance is Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol, who's been back in Mexico recently working with the uh, equipment installers and retailers in Mexico. Ron, thanks for joining us. Uh, how did it go? Well, it went pretty well. I mean, we, we got in there the first day, and it was uh, raining. And, you know, some of this flooding you've seen around the Midwest, it, it, uh, Lyon is where we were, and it was at the base of some mountains, and all the water came down there and drains through there. And I, it looked sort of like some of those pictures you see on TV right now, but apparently it's not as unusual there. So, you know, they... They, um, Mexico is, is interesting because there's things that you see there that are every bit as new as everything in the United States, and then there's some things that, uh, you know, that happen that you just sort of, you know, are happy that you have seen those corrected, I guess, or, or dealt with in, in, uh, in our everyday life. So um, it was one of those things where that gave me another uh, idea that I had to talk to him about because, you know, uh, when you have ethanol in a tank, you want to make sure you don't get water in it. So, um, it, it, it they're always an interesting trip. Um, people that are a, a really, really entrepreneurial spirit, um, and it's a new product, so there's always a lot of questions. And where are they in their move to 10%? Because I know that they're facing some challenges uh, from competitors, some of the same right. battles and, and challenges we've seen in the United States. Right, and when, when, I mean, the they that I talk to are the station owners and some uh, uh, installers, and, you know, most of them, not most of them, all of them, uh, three years ago they were buying all of their fuel from Pemex, and that was required. It was a state-owned oil company. And so some of them are experimenting with buying fuel from some other companies. For the first time, um, uh, Ryan Legrand, the person from the U.S. Grains Council that was there with me, was showing me, you know, here's a mobile station. He said, we've never seen that in Mexico. And so there are some stations that have changed brands, but for the most part, they're all still using MTBE as an oxygenate. Um, and MTBE is, is uh, that, that lobby, I guess maybe lobby or that, that business is still fighting hard and will fight hard until, until the end to, to keep ethanol out. But as a, as a practical matter, very little ethanol has been sold 
in Mexico, I think 2% of everything exported last year. So maybe, I don't know if that's 200, I don't know if that's, that's about 20 million gallons maybe. Um, so I, there, isn't, there hasn't been a lot um, exported. But what we're trying to do is explain to folks there that ethanol got into the United States with individuals, um, small companies who brought in transport loads or, tr- or, uh, or rail cars full of ethanol and distributed it near the pipeline terminals just as a splash blend on top of their fuel. Now, there's logistical problems and regulations with, um, how about this, RVP issues that they have in, in Mexico, too, but um, all are surmountable. And, um, you know, just seeing sort of this this light bulb go off in a few of the folks' heads thinking, gosh, I could be a fuel distributor now, where three years ago I didn't have any choice about my fuel, where I got it, when I got it, how much I sold it for, how much I paid for, and now they can actually be a competitor um, of Pemex. So, you know, we're trying to, to explain how it works, how it got all over the United States, understanding that it's going to take some time for that to happen in Mexico, but if we have some interested people, we'll start working with them and, and get fuel to them as quickly as we can. Hearing you talk about that and and hearing about how a country is trying to get started sure brings back a lot of memories of what we went through here in, in the United States. Uh, what's the potential uh, of Mexico as a market for the U.S. ethanol industry, Ron? If we got every drop of ethanol, every drop of gas there, it'd be just a little under 1.2 billion gallons. Um, that, you know, that even if we got half, 600 million gallons, but you know, you look at what we're having to make up for some of the decisions made by bureaucrats in the U.S. And you look at the potential. I mean, once we get this whole thing straightened out in the U.S., the only place we're going to grow is going to be with higher blends in the U.S., but then other parts of the world. And so, you know, 600 million. If we get half of it, it's 600 million gallons. That's a pretty significant uh, chunk of business. Um, and you know that that's how that's how we're going to grow. We can't be looking at ten percent and fifteen percent. We need to look at wherever we can go, whether it's Mexico or China or Canada or Europe. Um, anyone who wants to try and use ethanol, we want to try and help them. We hear countries, especially like in Southeast Asia, looking more and more at ethanol, especially from a clean air standpoint. I would think somewhere like a Mexico City that would be very uh, appealing to them. You know, I've, I've been to. to um, Mexico now four times. This is the first time I've been <clears throat> and through even through Mexico City. And when you fly over it, you see kind of that 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 haze that you used to see when you flew into places like Chicago and Los Angeles 30 years ago. So yeah, I think it's and that that's a lot of the discussion that's being had in Mexico. Uh, the one of the first meetings I went to, we also met with um, their their EPA um, talking about. You know whether 5.8 percent is the right blend or 10, and what's happened because of 10 in California versus the the smaller percentage they started out with. And so I think they're getting the the idea that you have to replace the particulates in gasoline, and you got to have the oxygen to clean it up, and that ethanol's been um, very very effective in the U.S. in doing that, and it can do the same thing in Mexico. So I, I and and on top of everything else, it's 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 really inexpensive, and right now. I mean, the downside of having an industry where you've got, you know, some supply you need to find homes for and a low price is that it becomes more attractive when you put the math up on a screen in front of a bunch of uh, retailers and tell them, here's what you could have gas for that's a, 
a little higher octane than the stuff you sell now that's a little cleaner and a little better and you can maybe make a little margin while still passing on a discount to your customers. Um, every every meeting we go to, there's a few more people that come up afterwards and want to exchange cards and see what information they can get down the line. Well, as we know, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, and uh, good that uh, you were there working with them and uh, helping them over some of those hurdles and obstacles, and uh, looks like that could be a potentially very lucrative market for the U.S. ethanol industry there in Mexico. Ron, thanks for being with us. Appreciate the update. You you bet. Thanks for having me on. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol, talking about his work in Mexico as they uh, start moving towards a 10% ethanol blend in their fuel supply. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Join us tomorrow on Adams on Agriculture.